because she's kind of doing the corollary passage in the Old Testament in, in uh, the book of potential at Grace Church and the potential that some folk have, not just for the kingdom, but for themselves and being spiritual winners. And I think how they are not being serious with that and how they're shooting themselves in the foot and not giving themselves an opportunity to be the person that God wants them to be and to be victorious as God wants them to be, that just saddens me. I don't know if it does you, but it saddens me. So Paul tells us here to run in such a way that we don't hamstring ourselves out of the starting block. And 
And, and, and I just want to say thank you for being the type of folk that are good examples. But let me ask you a question. Are, are, are you okay if your life is used as an example for people two or three generations off to learn from? You see, that we may not see the fruit in our own race, but by golly, we are examples that set the next generation up to be winners, and you are a winner. Uh, I think it was Charles Spurgeon said that if, if, if you are winning, or he said, he said it like this, he said, if, if you are succeeding without suffering, it's because somebody else suffered ahead of you. And he says, if you are suffering without succeeding, and so somebody else can succeed after you. So the question is, great church, are we okay if we don't see the big victory that we have envisioned in our mind, but if we set up the next generation to see it? Hey, aren't we all winners that way? So Paul says we have no excuse for failing because we have some good examples of our own from the past. But he also says that we have instruction that's been preserved. Look what he says. And they were written for our instruction. Now, these things that happened before, you know, God has his eye on the future. He really does. And what he does in your life today is preparing you for the future and preparing other people for the future. So, you know, it may be that we don't get there today. But I'm telling you, God always has his eye on the future. And these things are written for our instruction. And man, think about that. All the things that they went through 4,000 years ago, God has it, had his eye on you in that and through that. And he said, my people at Grace are going to benefit from this. So Moses, my Holy Spirit is going to inspire you to write this down in a book. And it's going to be my holy, infallible, authoritative instruction book for my people who are going to live 4,000 years from now. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Alright, let's get into some new ground here. We have no excuse for failing because we occupy a special position. Now check this out. Look what Paul says. The next clause in this, in this uh, verse 11 they were written for our instruction. You see that hour? That's what he's talking about in, in this, in this, after this comma. Upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Now, what in the world is Paul saying? But he's referring to us. Those who live in this, in this special period of time. And Paul calls those people, those upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Now, what is it that ushered in the end of the ages? Well, it was the coming of Christ the first time. And it was the reception of the Holy Spirit by all of God's people. This is what the Bible refers to as end times. Did you know that? Hey, sometimes in our mind, we just think end times is what's going to happen.
in verse number 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed unless he fall. Now, you know what the pitfall is? What does that verse refer to? It's referring to pride, is it not? I mean, what is it that always goes before a fall? It's pride. And thinking I've got this thing. Now, you've got to put this together contextually to see the weight of it. Paul is having to warn people who have so many spiritual privileges, namely what he just enumerated in verse 11. He's having to warn people who God has done all of this for them that by golly they don't become prideful. Now, can I just stop and ask you, you know, we always talk about fighting pride. But most times pride, we fight from the wrong influx. It's from the wrong source. I mean, we want to be prideful over who we are, what we have, uh, any of those types of fleshly types of things. But Paul is talking here about combating spiritual pride. Because of everything that God has done for us. Now, can I ask you, are you so conscious of everything that God has done for you? That you've got to combat spiritual pride. And you see, that's what he was talking to these folk down in Corinth about. My, my, my. God's done so much. Until they were beginning to think this thing is a slam dunk. God's done so much for us that we're going to walk in across the victory line backwards. And Paul says, now wait a minute. Just because God's done everything don't mean that you, you can't mess it up. Ain't that right? I mean, God can sit on a tee for us and somehow we'll whip at it. How in the world does that happen? Well, sometimes it happens because of pride. Pride. And Paul tells us here, there's a pitfall you guys have got to avoid. He says, and he's talking talk to us, those upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands, let him who thinks he stands, let him who thinks he's bulletproof. Let him who thinks there's no way he can lose this thing take heed unless he falls. So Paul tells us number one about this spiritual pressure. He says for failing the test we have no excuse. And number two he tells us this. To the rule, our test is no exception. Now what rule are you talking about, Rich? Hey, you ever, you ever heard folks say this? Uh, well, this is an exception to the rule. To what rule? Well, the way, the way things normally go. Well, listen, to the rule, you are no exception. And your case is no exception. Notice what Paul said, because here's what folks say. I can't tell you how many times I've been in this dialogue with my wife. Because, man, I tell you, <laughs> you know, I can, I, can, I can get down and I can say, look, I've had enough. And Heather go preaching to me and I said, but you don't understand. My case is totally different from what you're describing. And I just got a feeling you do it too because there's a lot of people I talk to about certain situations they come into spiritual advice and here's what they'll say when I start giving them some advice. They'll say, but wait, you don't understand. <laughs> it's kind of like, all right, I know everybody else that would apply to them. Everybody in the world. But now to me, for me, this is different. My case is unique. It's not that simple. Mine is a hard case. I don't even know if God's seen a case like this before. <laughs> That's what the devil tells you. He was like, well, look, if you had an easy road like everybody else, this is, you, 
you wouldn't be having no problem. You wouldn't be struggling like those poor weaklings are because you're stronger than they are. But you've got something here that I don't think anybody in this world can hold. So it's all right. I mean, isn't that what the devil tells you? Isn't that what the flesh tells you? And look what Paul says. Paul says, forget it. Because notice what he says in verse number 13. No temptation has taken you, but such as is what? Common to me. He says, you are no exception. Your case is not the first one of these that God has ever seen. This is not some rare position that you're in that nobody else has ever faced. Your case is no exception to the rule. You're not facing anything that's not common. And look what Paul says. He doesn't even say it's common to believers. He says it's common to man. So it really does level the field a little bit more. You know, sometimes we think, oh man, uh, this, is, this is extraordinary. This is out of keeping with what is normal. And Paul says, I'll tell you something. You ain't facing nothing that millions of people before you can face. And maybe they want it. And we're not. So the first thing he tells us is that, is that our test is no exception because it's common to man. Our test, our temptation, our situation is really something that's common to man. But notice what else he says. He also says it's no exception because not only is it common to man, but it's controlled by God. Do you know that, that nothing can happen in your life that isn't filtered through the allowing hands of Almighty God? No matter how good it is, no matter how distasteful it is, is our God in control or is He not in control? And, and I know that's tough because there's some, there's some tough things that folks go through. But it's not an exception. It's common to man. It's common to this fallen world in which we live. And Paul says it's controlled by God. Check this out. No temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. And look what he says. He turns around and says, and God is faithful. Amen. Hey, you may want to underline that. God is no matter what situation you're facing today, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how tempting it is, here's the truth. God is faithful. And this situation, too, is controlled by God. Now, let me tell you the picture that Paul has given us here. Have you ever watched on TV? I mean, every now and then they'll have a documentary on this pretty interesting about something pretty cool. And I watched one not long ago. It was one of those little documentaries about uh, astronaut training. And you know, those guys really are. Let's, let's just say they're not sissies, huh? <laughs> and the training that they go through, I mean, there's only a, a, it's only like one out of every gazillion people that have the physical makeup to be able to do that. I mean, when they put you in that old gravity thing and start spinning you around, if you don't lose your lunch, well, you may qualify. <laughs> But I want to tell you, most folks going to be slinging greens on the wall. You know? But here's, here's the deal. Here's the way they do this. They subject those guys and gals to some pretty intense training. And there's times, you know, they even put their life in jeopardy. For instance, they'll put them in that old gravitational ball and spin them all around up one side 
to get out. But here's the deal. When all of this stuff is going on and everything is out of control and their world is completely discombobulated and all of a sudden they're plunged into an atmosphere that can take their life just like that, there's men all around standing around watching. And they're listening for one guy, the, the voice of the guy in mission control. And there are several times when he'll say, abort test, get him out. And boom, they're in, they got him out. And you see, that's the picture that God is giving here. God is faithful. He's faithful. And it doesn't matter what your situation is not, it's common to man and is controlled by God. And God is faithful. And he has to abort and get you out. He's in control. And that's what he can do. <coughs> now check out number next. I forgot where I'm at here in my numbers. Notice how Paul talks about God being faithful. He says there's two things here that God's faithful to do. Number one, God is faithful to provide. While you are in this struggle, while you're experiencing this pressure that's turning you from a lump of coal into a diamond, God is faithful to do what? He's faithful to provide. And the first thing that this scripture tells us he's faithful to provide is maybe, and here's how I put it on your listening guide, some say he's faithful to provide a secret passage or escape. Now that's a viable option. Notice what he says here in verse number 13. God is faithful, comma, and here's he describing the faithfulness of God, what he's going to provide for you, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you, keyword what you are able, but with the temptation, and here's our word, will provide the way of escape. Now, here's what, here, here's one way of understanding that, and here's what some folks say. God's saying that just like those those astronaut trainers at Mission Control, He will get you out of there, but He will provide a way of escape. And it's kind of like maybe a secret passage that you didn't even know was there. There is a way out. And the picture here, the word that He uses, is really comes from, comes from a military vocabulary, and it shows somebody being trapped in a mountainous cul-de-sac. And the approaching army is here, and you're backed up in this cul-de-sac, and it looks like there's no way out. But God provides the way of escape. All of a sudden, you find a secret tunnel that you didn't even know were there. You you're able to get out. Now, that's one way to understand what God's faithful to provide. But there's another way. And this is what I think Paul is teaching us here, and this is so important. You see, some say that God is faithful to provide a secret passage. Or, or, or maybe you can look at it like this. You're able to hit the eject button just before the F-16 piles up into the mountain and you're safe. So it might be an eject button or something. Whatever, it shows last minute unexpected deliverance. Do you see that? Now get this. It's last minute unexpected deliverance. You can't pop out of this thing at the very beginning of it because you don't like it. Maybe God doesn't charge the explosive underneath the propulsion seat in your F-16 until you're about five feet away from the wall. Huh? <laughs> you know the old expression, God's never been late, but he sure has scared me to death a couple of times. Uh, who knows? But now, here's what I think this text picture is more than 
not so much a secret passage as it is a strong person. Because again, notice what this text says. This text says this. Uh, God is faithful who will not allow you, underline that, to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, we'll provide the way of escape. And here, here's so that. Look, what is so that? It's a purpose clause. So that you will be able to what? Endure it. All right, now wait a minute. He said that whatever this provision is that he's given is not going to allow you to get out from under the burden. Do you see this? But it's going to allow you to do what? Carry, bury, uh, 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 endure the burden. So I think for that alone, it's not so much an escape passage or an eject button as it is you are now able to bear up under this burden. So it's not escape. It's not getting out of it. It's being able to, at the last minute, kind of like Popeye, squeezing a can of spinach in your mouth, your muscles popping out and being able to bear it. Now, check this out. Here's what I believe he's doing. Look with me in verse number 13 again. He says, but with the temptation, we'll provide, now underline this, the way of escape. The way of escape. He didn't say a way of escape. He said the way of escape. Now, in case you didn't get this, since I'm in the preaching business, I'm going to draw it out for you, okay? Let your mind go all the way back with me to John chapter 14, verse number 6. Jesus Christ in the upper room just before his departure, he tells his disciples, I am what? I am the way. I am the life. So what is Paul saying here? I think this is what he's telling us. Here's how we bear up. It's not that you are able to handle it because sometimes, Dave, you are not able to handle it. But I want to tell you, there is nothing that King Jesus can't handle. Amen. And here's the question so many times. We're looking for a way out. When God says, stop looking for a way out, look for my son in the middle of it. Come on. Come on. And get to him. And so many times we ask the wrong question. Our, our question is, God, what do you want me to do? And the question is not, what do you want me to do? But the question is, where is Jesus in this turmoil? And so that you can find Him, and if you can get to Him, I want to tell you, He'll stand there and hold the ceiling of that cave off of you while you do whatever it is He wants you to do and while you become who it is that He wants you to become. Do you see how Paul does this? He contrasts what you were able. God will not allow you to be tempted. He's focusing all on you, but all of a sudden, now Jesus is in the room with you. Come on. And it's not what you can handle, it's what he can handle. And so there's nothing that he can't handle. So here's the deal. Most of these tests, most of these temptations, here's the purpose of the test. The purpose of the test is to get you a little bit closer to Jesus. Because <laughs> the closer you're walking to him, the more you can endure. Amen. The closer you're walking with Him, the less you whine. The closer you're walking with Him, the less you grumble. The closer you're walking with Him, the more victorious you become. The closer you're walking with Him, the more you begin to look like a diamond rather than a lump of coal. So here's what 
purpose in it. Hey, find Jesus in this. Find Jesus in this. Because I promise you, he's in there with He's with you. Because he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So here's the goal of our life. It's not asking God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? The question is, where is God in this situation? And let me flee to his refuge. To get to where he is. Man, if you get to him, you got it made. So can I ask you a question today? Where is God in your situation right now? Where are you going to find Jesus to a greater degree than anywhere else? Hey, if you experience Jesus at Grace Church, can I just say to you, no-brainer of no-brainers, God wants you to be a part of Grace Church. Because this is where you encounter Jesus, huh? Danny, if you encounter Jesus right now in Quilombola Village in the northeast of Brazil, if you sure will find Jesus there, then guess what? That's where you need to be. If you find Jesus in Uganda or in uh, Zimbabwe or if you find him in Nepal, wherever Jesus is for you right now, that's where you need to get because that's where you're going to be victorious. And that's where you're going to be under his divine protection where he's helping you bear whatever it is that comes your way. So here's our purpose in life. Find Jesus and get to him. Get to it. Where's God at in this? And you know, that's, we ask that question flippantly somewhere, but where is God in this? Oh, He's in it. And He is the way. He's faithful. You'll not put more on you than you can bear. And hey, if, if, you, if there's more on you than you can bear, it's because you're doing it by yourself. You've not found Jesus in it yet. Find Him. And you'll be victorious. Check this out. He's faithful, number one, to provide. But he's also faithful to accomplish his purpose. And Cliff pointed this out for us. You see, so that, that is our old faithful purpose clause in the original language and in this secondary language of English. So that, here's the purpose. So that you will be able to endure it. So what is God's purpose? Why are you going through this? Again, we ask the question, why doesn't God just save us and put us in a nice, safe cocoon of bubble wrap? Where nothing ever bothers us, nothing gets to us, nothing uncomfortable, nothing unpleasurable. Why doesn't He do that? Because He loves us too much to leave us a lump of coal. And it's this pressure that gets us to be a diamond. And what is it that diamonds do? What is it that God wants to produce in our life? Well, verse number 13, the first thing God wants to produce in your life is he wants to produce endurance. 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 Look what he says. So that you will be able to endure it. We read a passage of scripture last, last week. Uh, Colin read it. And it's in, uh, it's in James chapter 1, verse number 2. Listen to this. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces, anybody want to finish it? Endurance. Endurance. Endurance, endurance. So hey, can I just say to you that the reason for your trial might be to produce endurance. Hey, how long can you last in something? I'm talking about spiritually. How long can you last? 
congregation? If you're one of those people that comes to church one Sunday and you just can't make it back the next and the next and the next, let me tell you what God's going to do in your life. You're going to keep being caught in that same cycle of testing. Testing, testing, testing over the same issue to get you to have endurance. Endurance, endurance, endurance. It means to get under a load and be able to bear up because King Jesus, your strong man, is under there with you and you can do it. <coughs> so endurance. That's the first purpose of these tests. That's what Paul says at the end of verse 13. James says it verbatim in chapter 2 and verse 1 of his book. Uh, or, or excuse me, just the opposite. Verse 2 of chapter 1. So what is God trying to accomplish? What is his purpose as he leaves us hanging there after endurance in verse number 13? Well, let's expand a little bit more and go back to James. Not only to give us endurance, but to perfect us. That's the purpose of your trials. That's the purpose. Check out what James says. Let's get back. Let me get back to this verse and, and read this to you in verse 4. Let endurance have its perfect result. So that, here's another purpose clause. So that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. Man, how would you like to be there? How would you like to spiritually be in a place where you can say, God, I'm content. I am lacking nothing. Because bottom line, the reason most people can't stay consistent and steady is because they're chasing after stuff that they think they're lacking. Can you imagine when, when, when endurance has its perfect work? See, that's why endurance has to come first. Because James says, endurance produces this. It causes us to be perfect. And to have that feeling of the peace of God that passes understanding and contentment. Say, I've got everything I need. I lack nothing. There's not one thing God has to do for us to cause us to be winners. It's already there. It comes in the package. Check out number next. What is he trying to accomplish? He's trying to produce endurance. He's trying to perfect us. Number three, he's trying to make us more productive. Now, check this out in John, John's Gospel, chapter 15, and verse number 2. And I, did I just say he's trying to make us nix that if I did? He is making us more productive. Because God doesn't try to do anything, does he? He doesn't. He always does it. Because he doesn't lack the ability to do anything. Now, I do. There's a lot of things I try and I can't do because I don't have the ability. But when you're talking about an omnipotent God, there's some words that just don't go with that. Number one is try. Number two is chance. All of those types of words, they don't go with an omnipotent God. God does. So here's what he's doing. He's, he, he's, he's making us more productive. Check out what Jesus said in, in John chapter 15. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Did you, did you see that? You, you know who it is who gets the attention in God's economy? You see, in man's economy, it's always the squeaky wheel that gets the grease. Have you ever noticed that? Huh? Any of you work with a bunch of whiny babies that seem like the boss haters to them? Yeah. Don't that make you sick? Who said yeah? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just take that as the collective voice for every one of us? 
It's the one who's producing. Now here's what he does. Here's where it gets uncomfortable. Because you're producing, you're productive, you're bearing fruit. But there might be a branch in your life. And here's what my grandpa taught me. And by the way, I got that. My grandpa taught me how to grow tomatoes. No, let me take that back. My grandpa tried to teach me how to grow tomatoes. <laughs> he is not omnipotent. <laughs> but he taught me how to identify on a tomato plant. Does the monkey tell him if I'm lying up? He taught me how to identify a sucker stem on a tomato bush. Uh, is that the truth? Because a tomato plant, right in the nodule of two productive, uh, two, two branches that are bearing fruit, there will be a little shoot come out, and it'll look, man, it'll look like it's just part of the plant. Right, Jerry? I mean, it looks, got all the leaves, got all the potential, but it'll never produce a single tomato. And my grandpa taught me how to identify that thing, and here's what you do with it. Cut it off right there in that nodule. Because all that's doing is sucking vital nutrients and, 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 and vitamins and energy out of that plant. And it's keeping the fruit-bearing branches from bearing to their full potential. So you got to get it off of there. Guess what? You're a tomato plant. There are branches in your life that are extremely fruitful. There are other branches that ain't never going to bear nothing. And I know that's not good English, but it's good theology, right? <laughs> it's never going to bear fruit spiritually. It's just not. It's useless. And guess what else it's doing? It's eating up your time, your energy, your resources, and you can't be as fruitful in these other areas that are producing fruit because you've got this old sucker branch in your life pulling all the vitality out of you. But notice what he says. He just says, Jesus prunes you. Now here's the deal with pruning. You know pruning is painful. Do you know that? Because it usually involves surgery. <laughs> He's going to cut it off. And you're going to holler. And you're going to squeal. Because it's painful in the moment. But over here it's good for you. And that's what some tests do. Some tests are to prune you. To cause you to be as fruitful as you can possibly be. That's what Jesus is talking about here in John chapter 15. A few more and I'm done. Well, what is the purpose of these, of these, tempta of these tests uh, and these trials to produce endurance, to perfect us, to make us more productive? Finally, 1 Peter says to purify us. Check out. Let's let Peter chime into this conversation. He'll have something to say because he knows by experience, right? So talk to us, Peter. Well, look what he says in verse 7 of chapter 1. So that somebody knows what that is. Purpose clause. Yeah, amen. Purpose clause. Gold star. I told y'all, y'all could have passed the three days of Jesus last before we're done with this passage. That's a purpose clause. And guess what he's talking about? He's talking about hard times. And he's talking about trials as well. If you'll read verse number 6, he says, You have been distressed by various trials. Verse number 7. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, how is it that you purify gold? Because he talks about your faith being more precious than gold. You do what to it, man? you got to build fire. And you set gold on top of that fire, and everything that's not gold in it is going to bubble and come to the top. Right? right? And that's how 
them. That's how guys that work with jewelry and precious metals, that's how they purify it. By heating it up. Do you know how it is that God's going to purify your faith? He's going to do it by causing you to be healthy, wealthy, and no problems, right? That's what a lot of folks think, huh? No, it's prosperity gospel. But let me tell you how God's going to purify your faith. By building a fire beneath your hand. And if you don't have a fire built beneath your hand regularly, only two answers, two possibilities. Either your faith is already as pure as it can possibly be, or either you're not his child. But for the rest of us, do you regularly find yourself on the hot seat? <laughs> That's exactly right. Somebody that day asked, what is the verse you go to for assurance? Every son whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. <laughs> so thank you, God, for the discipline. You know, I, I say you get my share. He takes me to the woodshed. I don't have to cross the line. I just have to get close to the line. It's like I'm here in the spiritual belt practice. Get away from those lines. Yes, sir. But that's how God purifies your faith. By subjection, by subjecting you to the test of fire. It's uncomfortable. We don't like it. But listen to me. It's worth it. You're not going to win this race if you have impure fuel in your tank. You ever notice that a Formula One race car, if you fill it up with water, how far is it going to go? Not too far at all. That's highly refined, purified fuel. And that's the same way your faith is. You're not going to win at this thing if your faith is not pure. God wants you to win, but He's going to purify you by turning the heat up on you sometimes. Check out number next, and I'm done. Why does God cause these things to come in our life? Number one, to produce endurance. Number two, to perfect us. Number three, to make us more productive. Number four, to purify us. And then also right here, it's found in verse number seven of 1 Peter chapter one, to bring praise to himself. You want to know how God is, well, look, look at this verse. The last part of it. Even though tested by fire, that is your faith, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you know how it is that God is glorified in your life? You know how it is that God receives praise through your life? And that's why He saved us for this purpose. It's really all about Him. Secondarily about us. Primarily about Him. Here's how God is glorified in my life. Here's how He's glorified in your life. He's glorified by God when I endure rather than pop out, take the easy way home. <coughs> He's glorified when His children are willing to get under a load and bear up because they found Jesus in the situation and now they can endure it. He's glorified when we allow the test of life to perfect us and to purify us and to cause us to be productive. Then... Peter tells us when that takes place, the result is that we are bound to be in praise and glory and honor of Jesus Christ. My word. At the revelation of Jesus Christ, how is Jesus going to be glorified in your life? 
because you passed the test. Because you won the race that's set before you. Because you're standing in the victor's circle. Well done. <coughs> now, good and faithful servant. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. God, I pray today that this word has made an impression upon us. It's going to change the way we look at things. It's going to change the way we respond to things. And God, I pray that it's going to cause us to be found in the praise and glory and honor of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray for those who are here today that when they're in the heat of the battle, heat's being turned up. May they know, God, that they're not there alone, that you are in control of this situation, and that Jesus is definitely in it with them. Just like those three Hebrew children when old Nebuchadnezzar looked in the fire and said, how many did you throw in? They said three. He said, well, why do I see four in And Lord, you're in there with us today. I pray God will give us the spiritual vision to see where you are and give us the faith to move toward you, to get closer to you so that we may be able to endure. I pray for those who are finding you at Grace Church. May today be the day by faith they move closer to you and let their intention of being a part of Grace Church in this community made known. I pray for those, God, who have found you today for the first time at the cross and they want to give their life to you. May today be the day that they move closer to you. God, wherever it is that you are, this week, wait, May we as individuals and as a church take a step closer for your praise, honor, and glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Colin Dobber is up here on the front row. Uh, Cliff Myers is up here on the other side of the front row. God said something to you today. You just need to move closer to Jesus. You'd like one of these men to pray with you. If you'd like to become a part of Grace Church, we need to know that. We'd like you to come and let one of these men pray with you. You're here today and God's calling you to Himself. And replace your faith in what he did on Calvary's cross for you. We need to know about it. We need to pray for you and help you with that situation. Whatever it is God said, take a step of faith toward Christ this day.